3: with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the yoga hour at radio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien.
4: Welcome to the Yoga Hour our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien and today we're going to be looking at some insights and practices on the way of mindful education and understanding at the heart of yoga. Uh, The practice of mindfulness or meditation is bringing our attention and our awareness really to connect with our essence of being which is our spiritual nature, being restored to our original wholeness. And yoga allows us to know that true essential nature and live in harmony with it. Um, you know, when we think about living yoga, living mindfully, one of the areas that now is just really capturing our attention is how we can share this great gift with our children you know what Simple processes can we share with them that will contribute to greater well-being, um, help them reduce impulsivity and really stress in the classroom and other uh, parts of their lives. Um, our guest today is Daniel Reichshaffen. He's the author of The Way of Mindful Education: Cultivating Well-Being in Teachers and Students. It's a powerful book. I want to say it's revolutionary and it's exactly what's needed um, to bring the kinds of changes that we're looking for in our classrooms today. Uh, Daniel Rakshoffen is a marriage and family therapist, uh, the author of the book that I have mentioned, The Way of Mindful Education, Cultivating Well-Being in Teachers and Students. He founded the Mindful Education Institute and the Omega Mindfulness and Education Conference. He leads mindfulness and education trainings and conferences at institutions such as Omega Institute, Esalen, and California Institute of Integral Studies. He's helped create curriculum for organizations such as Mindfulness Without Borders, Mindful Schools, and the Mindful Mothering Project. Daniel leads mindfulness trainings for schools and communities around the world and has taught mindfulness to high school basketball and baseball teams. And And I understand now that this uh, this is taking him around the world. He also has a private psychotherapy practice in San Francisco Bay Area. You can find out more about his work um, at his website, which is Daniel Rekchoffen, and that's spelled R-E-C-H-T, R-E-C-H-T-S-C-H-A-F-E. F-E-N.com. Welcome, Daniel. I'm so delighted that you're here with us on the yoga hour today.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
4: And uh, we should uh, walk our talk and <laughs> begin our conversation with a mindful moment. So let's let's do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Tune into this conversation this morning first by tuning in to ourselves and being present in this moment by simply becoming aware of our breath. So feel the breath coming into the body. You might just notice it in your nostrils as the cool air strikes the nostrils, the back of your throat, the belly rising, and then the exhalation of the air that's a little bit warmer. So just follow your breath in this moment and notice its natural flow without trying to change it. Just notice it. What does it feel like as the breath enters your body, as you inhale, and what does it feel like as you exhale? And as we breathe in, it can become our mindful prayer is to feel that we are diving within waking up, becoming aware of that one reality that is called by many names. The true self, God, the divine one, truth, surrounding us and indwelling us. So we feel as we breathe in and connect that we are living and moving and having our being in that one reality. How wonderful that something as simple as our breath can help us connect, be present in the moment, connect to ourselves, to what we are experiencing around us and within us. And as we stay with that for a little while, we begin to notice thoughts calming down and heightened awareness, very often peace at the very center of our being. So let's take a moment to invite that peace now to pervade our being And let's share that peace with all beings everywhere. Peace. And when we look at the potential of mindful education, you know, there are some questions that come up, and we're going to uh, have the blessing of addressing those with Daniel this morning. You know, what are the qualities of a mindful teacher, and uh, what does a mindful classroom look like, and how can mindfulness be used to uh, support ourselves and those we work with to have greater peace and compassion and, um, you know, something as basic as, well, how can we relax and heighten our attention all at the same time? I want to begin with a quote from Paramahansa Yogananda from our tradition of Kriya Yoga, who said, the trouble with most people is that when they're performing an action, they're thinking about something else. They don't know how to concentrate on what they're doing when they're doing it. You should learn to think of one thing at a time with all the power of your mind. Your whole attention should be there. Don't drag along doing things in a lackadaisical way that leads to failure and misery. And so, you know... uh, Right now, we seem to be in a time of, we seem to be living in an age of heightened distraction. And um, there are more and more things that distract our attention, particularly, you know, we see it with technology. And with our with our young people being exposed to t- technology so early, the temptation for um, distraction is very strong. So, you know, we all function better when we're able to be present um, and mindfulness uh, is a key to that so Daniel tell us about um, how you introduce the whole idea of mindfulness uh, to children and adults that you teach
5: yeah so you know I think that it's it's really important when I'm introducing mindfulness especially to kids uh, it's it's so especially when I go into a classroom, into a school, the paradigm is so set at, um, at a stress level in which we're needing to succeed in which we're needing to get, get the grade. And um, so when I go in, and I, this is true for teachers as well, since most of us grew up in this same system, where um, if I'm teaching mindfulness or if I'm teaching us how to be present with what is, to be open to ourselves, to be, you know, empathic to the world around us, it's, our minds go to the default mode really quick of, you know, how, how do I do this right? How do I do this awareness, um, this heartfulness? How do I do it correctly? And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we all are set up from childhood, whether we are, so self-critical of ourselves, or whether we are, you know, a, a type A personality, or whatever we are, we end up doing our our practice in that way. Um, so, and right from the beginning, what I want to do is I want to um, I want to play mindfulness instead of paying attention. I say that we're playing attention. I wanna I want to introduce these practices both to, to kids and to adults, in such a way that they're going to enjoy it, that it's going to be insightful for them. If I just go in, and I even see this very much um, with mindfulness teaching for adults, that that if I if people came in who didn't really know much about mindfulness and I told them to sit for 30 minutes and just focus on their breath, uh, a lot of that may be just an experience of frustration. And so I really want to set Set the experience up so that it's enjoyable, it's playful, it's interesting, it's creative, and so that they, even if it's only a, a minute of practice, um, I'm, we have lots of different games uh, and fun ways for us to learn how to be aware of distraction, to be aware of attention, to be aware of um, our 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 thought patterns and our emotions.
4: Mm. And you know, and in, and in, in that's so powerful. In your book, you talk about. Um, in a way, you know, trying to describe what mindfulness is, is, is like trying to teach what fun is. <laughs> you know, and I, and I would think it's like trying to teach what love is or fun, you know, things that are, are really, um, inherently a part of our experience. And of course, when, you know, when we teach meditation, we teach that, you know, meditation is natural to our being. We actually meditate a lot. And so when we learn to meditate, we're in a sense just, uh, you know, remembering what it's like, um, to be in a meditative state of, of consciousness. Um, so, you know, I'm, can you tell me about, you know, how you, or if you differentiate between mindfulness and meditation, um, you know, certainly many of the skills that you're teaching are meditative skills, um, but. There, but you're really focusing on, you know, what you're calling mindfulness. I don't know if that's a fair question, but I'm curious. It's a,
5: great, it's a, it's a really important question, um, and I'm sure that we could talk about it for a while. Um, <laughs>
4: Good.
3: And,
5: and um, you know, so mindfulness is a type of meditation, um, and there, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of of what mindfulness is or what type of meditation it is. Um, one of the distinctions that I make very clearly is that, um, and you were speaking about this earlier, just in terms of um, meditation as just a natural process. So mindfulness is very much the natural process of being aware of what is as it is. Um, So, you know, in a lot of different yogic or other uh, practices where, Kind of, you, when we do a breathing practice, we manipulate the breath in a specific way in order to bring in more energy, or to relax the body, or to kind of change experience, which is you know amazing, which is wonderful, and can, and as I'm, as you know, can do so many positive things for our bodies and our minds and our hearts. Um, with mindfulness, mostly we are, um, as you just led in your breathing practice, to open us off, just being with the breath as it is. Um, or, you know, as the Paramahansa Yogananda quote, you know, we're we're just aware of what we're doing as we're doing it. So the, basically the difference between mindful walking and mindless walking is that when you're mindfully walking, you know that you're walking. The attention mm-hmm. is fully present to the feet, to the breeze, to whatever the experience is in the kind of somatic walking experience or you're mindfully eating, it just means you're Present to the experience of eating, without trying to escape, without trying to, or or at least noticing that you're trying to escape. Um, watching the ways that that the mind uh, does get distracted, and really um, pulling back over and over again to the present moment experience. So there are a lot of meditations which are, um, you know, focusing on whether it's a mantra or whether it's. You know, a divine name, or whether it's all different. You know, really specifically about um, you know connecting to the divine, or all these different things, which are wonderful and are amazing. Um, but mindfulness really, particularly, is is uh, this kind of visceral, present moment way of meditating, of being present to what is, which is why I think that it's really accessible for schools and for the medical world and for um, you know, for the army, even all of these places, mindfulness is being brought in because there there isn't any. Um, re- we're able to not have any of re- the religious language connected to it, um, and mm-hmm. really just having this kind of clear, bare awareness practice.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's ideally uh, suited for that, and and also, in, you know, as you stress in your book, um, when we're um, practicing mindfulness, there you can't do it wrong. <laughs> now, really, you know, if you practice what we would call uh, concentration meditation, let's call it that, or yog- yogic meditation, and you're you're you know you have um, a way of focusing on one thing, you're directing your attention to you know the breath or or a mantra or something. Um, there really isn't a way to do that wrong either, but. Um, people tend to think so (laughs) so um, you know because it's just a process of learning how to bring your attention to where you are in the moment whether you do it through an exercise or just expanding your field of attention to be aware of whatever is arising but I think that uh, mindfulness and especially the way that you you presented in your book for teachers and students um, can carry that sense that you know easily carry that sense that there isn't any way to do it wrong, mm-hmm. and uh, you know what a healing um, thing <laughs> to be bringing um, into the into the classrooms, and, you and know,
5: that there isn't. Up, that ends up becoming the whole the whole practice is that inevitably our minds start thinking that we're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. um, and we start judging ourselves, or we start judging ourselves up against each other, or we. You know, we notice the distracted mind or the inner critic or all of these parts that um, are rampant in our society and in ourselves. And then the practice just becomes open heartedly witnessing the mm-hmm. distracted mind, openly open heartedly witnessing the self criticalness and noticing, wow, I'm really mean to myself.
3: <laughs> and look yeah. at that. And, yeah. and with
5: this really caring lens, it really um, that becomes the healing um part of the mindfulness practice.
4: Exactly. Because you've you know, shown students how to expand their awareness, you know, beyond getting stuck in the critical Mind, Um, This is just such a wonderful topic, and uh, when we get back from the break, we'll talk more about mindfulness and education. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with special guest Daniel Rakshoffen, and his book is The Way of Mindful Education, Cultivating Well-Being in Teachers and Students. Uh, His website is danielrakshoffen.com, and we'll be right back with you in just a moment.
1: Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward?
3: to the Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour.
4: Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and our guest today is Daniel Rechtsaphin, marriage and family therapist and author of "The Way of Mindful Education: Cultivating Well-Being in Teachers and Students." Daniel, you had a very interesting background as a child that, that seems to have prepared you um, for what you're doing now. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up and then the trajectory of how you got interested in mindfulness and education.
5: Uh, yeah, I, um, I grew up at the Omega Institute, which is a um, kind of holistic learning center in Rhinebeck, New York. And... Um, my parents actually uh, founded the center in the late '70s, um, and it was it was quite an experience. I just kind of assumed that everybody's that everybody uh, had you know a similar experience. When you're a kid, you just are, nothing seems strange to you. So for me, having yogis twisting their bodies in knots, and having you know Ramdas as kind of an uncle figure of mine, and having um, you know shamans and um, you know, Shaolin monks and all these people around all the time. That just—that was my upbringing, and it was—and um, it was—it was—it was profound. It was very, very beautiful to be able to to be around it. One one of the interesting things for me is that even though I, I grew up with all these meditation masters and um, yoga teachers and all these these folks, I was never uh, told to do any practices. Um, I I obviously saw a lot and and as a young kid I, I think from very, very early on, just because I was overhearing all these kind of mystical thing speeches and um conversations, I I started on my path really early. You know, maybe four or five years old, started really questioning the, the big questions of life which scared me (laughs) scared Mm -hmm. the Jesus out of me when -hmm. you're that young being like what what is eternity what is existence Mm -hmm. um and and luckily I had uh some some very amazing people for me to be able to ask questions to um and to to be in this inquiry from Mm -hmm. from a very early stage Mm -hmm. and um yeah so it was it was a lovely it was a lovely experience to be able to have that and and at the same time there was always i write in my book about this there's always a bit of a a split for me because i went to regular public schools and um grew up on some level and just kind of a regular american childhood um and then i also had this other kind of split life where i was at omega and talking to to the teachers about what is the self and what is the soul and um, and and it took me a long time to figure out how to to find that, to merge those two streams of me, the kind of everyday American me and the um, kind of soul me. Mm. And, and I think that's actually, you know, really took me to when I, you know, growing up, you know, going to college, I stud- really was studying philosophy and going to psychology school and traveling in India and living in different, um, you know, meditation centers and doing all of this work of really trying to understand how do we, how do I merge these two in myself? How do I live a life in my society where I can really talk about what's about the most important questions? And then Mm -hmm. from that, really starting to work with, I worked as a school therapist for uh, a long time and really started you know, seeing, of course, every human being on the planet has an inner world, has a, a spiritual side that usually is not recognized by the um, teachers or often by even parents. And so my real interest became, how do I pay forward some of that gift I was given by being mm. growing up in Omega? How do I create and help create an atmosphere in schools where kids are really... Scene where kids are um, given access and tools to to understand what's really going on inside of themselves and and in in the world because I mm-hmm. I wasn't given that at all in my mm-hmm. in my school experience and mm-hmm. I didn't know how to I would try mm-hmm. to have conversations about spirituality with a uh, you know in in class raising my hand and I would get very strange looks from my teachers <laughs> and from my <laughs> peers. So um, I'm, I'm really wanting to, that's that's really why I started this work.
4: It's so beautiful. And, and you know, there. I think that for, for most of us, that's the way it comes together. You know, our dharma, you know, what the seeds are there in our youth, you know, and it's just like a flower opening. It's so beautiful. And as you describe your story and as you tell it in your book, you know, I, I, I love the image that I have of you as a, as a young boy in your hip hop clothes you know if you we were talking about getting the getting the outfit you know like trying to figure out how to fit in and um and you know how to bring those those worlds together and you know the questions that you had of course i think are questions that all children have but um you know, we just have not been uh, so good across the board of giving them a way um, to reflect, you know, and and to connect and to ask questions that are really important. Um, You know, we tell kids um, all the time, you know, to be quiet, to pay attention, you know, to don't do certain, you know, don't do certain behaviors. And, um, but yet you know, we're kind of short on telling them and showing them um, how to do the things that, you know, we're asking them to do. We want them to be quiet. We want them to pay attention, want them to settle down. But for the most part, nobody tells them how to do that other than sit in a chair. And, of course, we all know you can sit in a chair and your mind, um, you know, can just take you right out of it. So, um, you know, I really like uh, what you're doing in terms of. Giving teachers and students practical tools.
5: Yeah, and that's definitely we we really start with that premise. You know, you can we tell kids to pay attention over and over again, but we don't teach them how. We <laughs> tell them to you know not to hit their sisters, but we don't tell them how to be with you know to develop impulse control. We Tell them you know all of these different aspects, and um, you know there's a, a whole movement kind of. Uh, alongside mindfulness in education, which is the social emotional learning um, movement, which is is you know an older is around for about thirty years or so, and is doing really beautiful work, and is in a lot of big school districts around the um, the U.S. and um, recently, a lot of those social emotional learning. Uh, Groups and schools have been have been taking a lot of the mindfulness trainings to heart and have been weaving them into their work. Because, uh, as my my colleague and friend Linda Lantieri, who's one of the people who, who really started that movement, uh, she's really clear that you can you know you you do all of these wonderful ways to teach kids emotional intelligence or about emotional intelligence and about how to be speak kindly to each other and about all these things. But if it's if it's just kind of head up, if it's just about, you know, telling kids once again, this is how you're supposed to be or, you know, this is how to be a good person without introducing themselves to their own inner world and saying, this is, you know, like, hey, let's explore. Of course you want to be nice. Nobody likes being mean, um, you know, and it doesn't feel good. Um, let's explore what's going on inside. Let's explore, you know when when you do say something mean, what that feels like in your body, why what that impulse happens, how it how it actually shakes in the in in your muscles um, and and giving them this this priceless experience of tracking the inner world and then empowering them to be able to make inner choices, which mm-hmm. which is you know a isn't really the one of the main things that i feel like we do um when we're teaching is this this practice where first i teach kids how to be aware of what's going on in their bodies and really giving them language of sensations then i teach them about their minds about how to you know witness thought patterns how to witness um you know the the continual popping of thoughts then i teach them how to do this connection which which is Pretty much, I've never really seen taught in most schools where when I teach kids when their minds are kind of ruminating, when their minds are spinning, when they're distracted, if they can catch that and notice the thoughts, which we teach them in in these practices, and then if they can drop down into their bodies and actually notice emotionally what, what it feels like in their body. So if their mind is spinning about something and then they can catch it, Note it, and then drop down into their bodies and notice. Oh, there's some anxiousness in my chest. Or if mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're kind of ruminating angry thoughts, and they catch those thoughts, and they drop down, and they realize, oh, my my arms are my you know muscles are tight, my belly is hot, you know, mm-hmm. and to, able to catch the physical experience, it's kind of like you're you're you know turning the bomb off. You know, you're actually um, extinguishing. The flame, because you're you're coming to the root of it instead of just once again thinking, "Oh wow, this is you know I'm, I should have done this, I uh-huh. should do that." You're actually getting down into the into the meat of it.
4: It's a, such a beautiful thing to be teaching um, children, and and of course all of us as adults um, really benefit from that skill. As you as you were describing it, I, I was. Um, Reminded of uh, Eugene Genlin's work. Are, are you? Have you met him? Yeah, I've, and, uh, yeah.
5: I've, I've uh, never met him personally, but I, I've studied his work very closely.
4: And it's really. Um, wonderful work you know his his book called focusing uh is really just that technique that you just described and and he discovered uh you know his work came out of uh, just for our listeners to you know that he discovered that people in the therapeutic um setting that that there was a difference between those who were making a real progress and those who were kind of getting stuck and just cycling around and around and around with their issues and um and what he discovered was the difference was with those who were actually able to drop down, as you have just described, and connect with their actual experience. Mm-hmm. And the ability, the felt. the felt sense, and then the ability to connect with that experience allowed it to shift and change. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing. And, of course, we've all experienced that, you know, if you're caught spinning around with your thoughts, you know, they, they generally just escalate and um, you, you don't find anything new there. It just, you know, this rumination is, is a good way to describe it. But if we can teach the skill and learn the skill, I should say learn the skill and teach the skill of how to drop down like that, then something um, fresh can come and you, you know it, it reminds me of a saying of the Buddha the attributed to the Buddha which is the mind thinks but the body knows and uh, you know that just I think relates to that uh, deeper uh, deeper wisdom that um, w- we can access and we can and we can teach children to to access, um, I'm curious about your your work in the classrooms, Daniel. If you have experienced um, pushback from parents um, who don't want their children to be involved with anything that comes close to meditation, whether it's called mindfulness or not.
5: Yeah, so you know, I've never had personal experience of of resistance, which is fascinating. Um, there, there has been there even has been a um, a court case against mm-hmm. one school that that started, the, and you know this is true in the yoga in education mm-hmm. as well. And there was a, a recently, I think in LA, I, I, a court mm-hmm. case against which which the yoga and schools folks won um, because mm-hmm. you know if and basically the the you know the ruling came through very clearly if if you explain. Um, what, you know, if I explain to folks what I'm doing. And there has been a few teachers uh, or teachers or parents who've had questions and concerns, you know. Um, and what I do is I say, please, come check it out. Um, you know, and I, I, when I actually work with schools, I train the teachers and parents before I work with the kids. So I'm, I'm very much interested in this not being a kind of top-down, like, um, behavioral Intervention for the kids. I want the teachers and the parents to really embody this first. And so when I explain, when I show this to them, and I show to them, this is about learning to focus, how to regulate emotions, how to be more empathic, how to be more connected to the world around you and more aware. Um, It's all just these very, very basic human capacities that we're developing and these. also amazing with mindfulness the the level of scientific rigor that 's backing all mm-hmm. of it up mm-hmm. pretty pretty quickly i've mm-hmm. everybody who i 've who 's had any type of questions or has mm-hmm. realized okay yeah this <laughs> there isn 't any any spiritual religious real language involved this is This is about you know human capacity building um, and for me, if there was a kind of human, I'm actually not attached to the word mindfulness at all. I'm I'm really interested in in awareness, in mm-hmm. being awake in our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and our communities. And um, if, if if we could use whatever name we wanted for that, and a lot of different religions use different names uh, for that, mm-hmm. and I and I do, I am really concerned in terms of I don't want to be bringing in religious. Um, religion to public schools Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it it is, it would be an imposition. You know, I wouldn't want some other, you know, my kids to be told to, to, you know, that they need to now be practicing this Christian or Muslim or Jewish, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I agree. It is important that we're not teaching religion to kids. And, and at the same time, we've really lost in our culture um uh these kind of basic ethical and um and awareness based skill skill building capacities and and so yeah. we work i think we're in a in a kind of cultural movement right now of figuring out how do we how do we teach how to be really good human beings uh to our mm-hmm. kids and to okay. us as adults um in a in a secular way
4: and you know um i'm 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 so aware of the high level I have uh, you know one daughter who's a teacher and two little granddaughters in school, so I'm very aware in uh, a personal level of the school system and the stress that teachers and students are under. You know, it's uh, especially in California with all the budget cutbacks and, you know, one of the things that's happened in public schools is so many of the things that helped children have a more spacious time Um, a way of focusing their attention that wasn't based on academics, you know, have been removed from the schools. They've been cut. So, no more music. Um, In a lot of schools, the music programs have been cut, or, you know, things like poetry, or um, you know, drama, or, and, you know, even now they're taking um, cursive out. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, these were some of the things that, you know, like for me as, a, as an adult and as a child, highly introverted. So to have an opportunity, you know, for those kinds of um, things that would allow me just to have a break, you know, um, and to, to focus within were really important. So when we come back um, from the break, Daniel, let's, let's talk about what a mindful classroom looks like. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, and our guest today is Daniel Rekshofen, marriage and family therapist, and author of The Way of Mindful Education Cultivating Well Being in Teachers and Students. His website is Daniel Rekshofen, R E C H T S C H A F F E N dot com. And we'll be right Or,
5: back or you can you. just do mindfuleducation dot com.
4: Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. We'll be right back with you.
3: I light a candle in your name Just like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour.
4: Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien and I'm joined today by Daniel Rakshafin and he's written a powerful book um, about the way of mindfulness in education and Uh, I want to say how much I'm enjoying the book and that the book has a beautiful, mindful quality about it. Um, You know, there's some books that have good content, but they're hard to read. (laughs) And and Daniel, your book is really uh, reader friendly. You know, I I found that um, I could just really get a sense of what you were talking about. And uh, it gave me hope, really. Your work gives me hope. Um, So tell us what you've seen in terms of mindfulness in the classroom you know if we if we wanted to think about what a mindful classroom would look like what does it look like
5: um so it can look so many different ways it can look as many ways as there are classrooms out there and I'm very interested. A lot of different schools contact me, asking me to come and consult or help them create a more mindful learning environment. And I'm I'm really interested in doing that in an organic way. Uh, I don't want to have this cookie cutter um, kind of curriculum or this cookie cutter thing of you know mindful. Classroom looks like this, and if you're not doing it this way, then um, I, I really want it to be because every single classroom, the demographic is different, the teacher is different, the um, the physical layout of the room is different. Uh, so I could give you I can give a few examples of the ways people like my my fr- some friends of mine, some colleagues um, who have an organization called uh, the Holistic Life foundation in Baltimore, I feel like are doing this amazing job where they, uh, um, Ali and Atman Smith and, um, Andy Garcia, they grew up in inner city Baltimore. And then after actually studying a lot of yoga, um, came back and started teaching mindfulness and yoga in the class, in the classrooms. And, um, have also one of the things they've done that I, I love is that they've trained all of these young folks from, um, from the schools who now have grown up and they are now becoming the ones who are going in and teaching and they mm-hmm. actually have these rooms in a lot of the different schools in Baltimore now where they have these kind of like uh, mindfulness rooms where mm-hmm. in, where kids instead of uh, you know being sent to the principal's office they kind of self refer themselves to the mm-hmm. to the mindfulness room which is a really potent piece of this work so when we talk we can think about um, kind of teachers as the kind of external regulator of a kid. The kid starts acting out. They send them to the principal or I'll send them home or whatever it is. What we're teaching the kids to do is to notice when they're, you know, at about a seven on their stress meter or five or whatever it is, and they can actually say to the teacher, hey, teacher, I need a, I need a break right now. You know, mm-hmm. I w- I, in, in five minutes, you're going to be sending me to the principal's office. So Why don't I send myself? Uh, this kind of stillness regulation room in in younger classrooms um i have a lot of um classrooms that i recommend to put in a kind of peace corner where you know the kids go to the corner of the room where they've kind of helped set up a space where there's you know different type of soothing toys and um you know different uh, kind of cushions that they can sit on and um maybe art materials that they can go use where they can actually go and regulate and find stillness and then come back mm-hmm. to be able to learn, rather than the kind of um, usual level of, of stress. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's there's a lot of I've, I'm working right now with a school in San Francisco that I've been working for a couple of years. Um, and what I always do is is and it's hard to do this with a lot of schools because schools have such a little amount of time and money, um, but. What I always start with is for almost the first entire year, I just was working with the teachers. So one thing that you would hopefully see in a mindful classroom, or I would say the, the most hopeful thing you would see in the mindful classroom, is that you would see your, the teachers being more attuned to the students, being more relaxed, being more um, compassionate to all the needs and aware of the needs of each kid. Um that, that I think, even if the teachers, we have all of these amazing curricula that have been developed to teach the kids in different ways, whether it's teaching them through hip-hop or teaching them through art or teaching them all of these fun ways, but I think the, the most important thing is having the teachers in this very present state. And often I've seen classrooms really change, really um, the kids really shift without them, you know, us even teaching them mindfulness mm-hmm. lessons just from the teachers um, teaching from a very different way.
4: Uh, it makes so much sense. Of course, I mean, we we understand that. You know, when we're in an environment with somebody who's stressed, that's contagious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're in an environment with somebody who is uh, more relaxed and open, that's contagious too. And, of course, you know, teachers are under phenomenal stress in our school systems today. And a lot of that, you know, is pointed to this, you know, getting the test scores up and, you know, all the time that they have to put into preparing students for tests and, you um, know, you know, that does so much to raise the stress level, uh, you know, in the classrooms. And, um, and I know here in the, in the area, uh, where I'm living, there's also great diversity in the classrooms. You know, there's students coming in, um, who speak, uh, different languages, you know, and who have very different cultural backgrounds in the mix in public schools. And, um, so I would think that, you know, mindfulness is is one way you know that you can touch into the universal um, experience that children have. That's going to be beyond, you know, the academic rigor and uh, uh, you know beyond the um, the whole thought process. So it, it seems ideally suited for that as well.
5: I, I I very much agree, and it it brings up a much a big paradigm um, question where where um, we do have, like it has been known for a long time, different different types of learners, um, the Howard Gardner educational work. You know, there's all these different, whether you're a kinesthetic learner or whether you're um, uh, each of these different ways that we learn, we learn different ones, each of us learn better. And then there's also, as you're saying, there's different um there's different literal languages being spoken or understood, and then there's different kids with different types of trauma or stress that you know they need to be related to in such a way that they're actually going to be able to receive the information rather than being shut down, um, which is often the case if you you know your walk to school was one that you had to be hiding or you know um, or you had to be you know scared for your life. Um, And so there's all of these different ways that that it's really hard for teachers to be able to really be attuned to all of the different needs um, of the students and not be what we are told to do as teachers of imposing this mass amount of standards, very specific standards on very diverse, um, both diverse culturally, but also diverse internally of how they're Showing up um, to the kids, and the, the, one of the big things that I'm working on now, and I've been working a lot with some uh, a group of people who are doing very involved in kind of restorative justice and social equity, is we, we're really wanting to be aware when we're teaching mindfulness that we're not coming in just as a kind of behavioral modification tool to get kids just to relax and be present to the same old kind of <laughs> um, stressful system that's been there. That's been there. We're actually. I'm very interested in mindfulness as a revolutionary act. Like, we are wanting to be very aware of the systems that are in place, some of which are really not beneficial, um, and to, to use mindfulness as a capacity to know ourselves, to know each other, to know our environment, and to show up in a much more conscious and clear way. Um, and not just, even a lot of schools contact me just because their kids are so stressed and they want them to calm down. Um, which is great, but at the same time, I want more than that. Sometimes kids are stressed out because of a stressed-out situation or they're angry because of a disempowered situation, and I actually want kids to be able to be empowered to recognize if a system isn't working for them and to dialogue about what to do about it.
4: Yeah, and to have um, powerful um, tools, you know, for dealing with situations so that, you know, our kids can actually feel um, empowered and instead of feeling trapped. So, uh, I agree with you. It's revolutionary work. Um, it's so, you know, what's needed. And... You know, everybody has these, you know, inner resources to bring to bear. Young children have those resources. Teachers have those resources. You know, we all do. And it's a matter of, you know, how do we begin um, to return, you know, to um, ourselves, you know, become more aware of ourselves, become more aware of our environments, and um, then be able to make positive choices and positive change. Daniel, it's been um, just a breath of fresh air to meet you and talk with you about this work of uh, mindful education. And I want to uh, direct our listeners to your website, mindfuleducation.com. Thank you so much for being with us today.
5: Thank you.
4: And uh, I want to invite you to uh, join us next week on the Yoga Hour, um, more about, you know, how to enhance our awareness. And, um, and next week, we're going to look at balancing our environment, you know, what happens when we begin to make changes uh, in our environment, in our physical environment, that can be supportive of greater awareness and the flow of energy. Um, We're going to be talking with Robin and Michael Mastro, leaders in the field of Vastu Shastra, the sacred Vedic science of architectural alignment. The Yoga Hour is a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the spiritual tradition of Kriya Yoga. Our world headquarters are located in San Jose, California. You can find out more about Center for Spiritual Enlightenment at csecenter.org. And there you'll also find out about Live the Eternal Way, a course in Kriya Yoga philosophy and practice that begins Tuesday, October 6th. 2015, if you're listening in real time. Remember to subscribe to Yoga Hour at iTunes. We appreciate you letting your friends know about it. And I look forward to being with you next week. Until then. Remember to let your inner light shine into the world, to share your peace and your joy with all you meet. Thank you, Jeff Comfort in the sound room, and I want to give a thanks to Vicki Martin, who is the producer of our program, and Dr. Laurel Trujillo, who is our regular guest host. And again, thank you thank you to you, uh, Daniel Rekschoffen, our guest today. Bye now. <music>
3: Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share to be fruitful, and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God.
1: This meditative moment is brought to you by
2: Unity. Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice activated technology, available on any Alexa enabled device like the Amazon Echo.